When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and ideas from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royful Brown, who is hopefully in uh, my last few days in Birmingham, in England, because I should be on a plane to California this weekend. Today, we are going to really focus more on the UK than the US, because Boris Johnson's position as the UK Prime Minister could well be up in a week that has seen. MI5 accused a lawyer of trying to influence politicians on the behalf of China. We ask just exactly what it will take for Boris Johnson to do the right thing and fall on his sword. Well, there we have it. After months of deceit and deception, the pathetic spectacle of a man who's run out of road. His defence, his defence that he didn't realise he was at a party. (laughs) It it, it is so ridiculous that it's actually offensive to the British public. He's finally been forced to admit what everyone knew, that when the whole country was locked down, he was hosting boozy parties in Downing Street. Is he now going to do the decent thing and resign? Prime Minister. Uh, well, Mr. Speaker, I, 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 I appreciate the, uh, the the point that he's making about the the event that I uh, I attended. Uh, I, I want to I want to repeat that uh, I thought it was a, a work event, and and Mr. Speaker, uh, I, 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 I regret I regret very much I regret very much that we did not do things differently uh, that evening. Uh, Mr. Speaker, as I've said, and I take responsibility and I apologise, Mr. Speaker. 
Uh, but as for as for his uh, his political point, I don't think that he should uh, preempt the outcome of the inquiry. Uh, he will have he will have a further opportunity, Mr. Speaker. I hope. Keir Starmer. Well, that apology was pretty worthless, wasn't it? Yeah. Steve, um, could you give us the backstory of how we've got here? Can you give us the, just the rough timeline, not only of the party, which happened in May 2020, but then the subsequent denials that, uh, the, that 10 Downing Street have made, which has led us to where we are today? Yeah, it's been, it's been a long-running thing, and the party gate issue and scandal is is one of many that's been building up but it's been the big one it's been the main one so yes you mentioned the party that we're talking at the moment is in may 2020 and that that in the uk and most other places was probably our hardest sort of point of lockdown so when there was no sort of socializing allowed at all there's a series of parties that have kind of been drip drip leaked and i don't know if you people have been watching the news just in the last hour there's a new one not involving boris johnson or other of the Minister, as far as I know, but a new one actually days before the funeral of Prince Philip has just, just sort of hit the news. Anyway, the one we're talking about is May 2020, and there were a series of them throughout 2020 that kind of been drip-dripped. And we've now found out on Wednesday, Boris Johnson has admitted that he attended one and apologised for it, having denied denied it constantly. He sort of tried to get out of it, say, well, I thought it was a work meeting. That has led to meme after meme and joke after joke. It does look a bit ridiculous, and I think you just heard from those... Uh, clips of Keir Starmer somewhat skewering him. Well, yeah, he's been somewhat skewered for how ridiculous it looks. Very obviously, Boris Johnson, he has no defence in terms of it's very obvious that he has lied, saying that first he wasn't at this party, didn't know there was a party, then he was saying, I didn't know it was a works party. But we've got to remember that this was May 2020 when the country was on severe lockdown. Is that... With that in mind, do you think that maybe uh, Sir Keir Starmer yesterday could have been even more forceful in the House of Commons? I'm looking at the press. The press says, you know, Boris has fundamentally got nowhere to go. But I didn't think that Sir Keir was as devastating as he could have been. It's tricky, I think, or it's sort of famously tricky when when the goal is so open, people expect you to sort of knock the goal over. And in some ways, I think that I mean, he's gone as far as he can in calling for Boris to resign. I've got to say, I haven't listened to the entirety of PMQs yet. I've seen a lot of the clips, which is how most people will experience it on the news. But I thought he, I thought he was pretty forceful. I think that one shouldn't over-expect that to deliver to deliver this kind of thing. Maybe, maybe he could have been more angry. I'll take that point, but but I, I, I wouldn't overplay it. So there is going to be an inquiry. Isn't this just a way for the Conservative Party? Well, sorry, for number 10, because there's a clear breach now between the Conservative Party and actually number 10, you know, the PM's office. Isn't this just a way of knocking this, knocking the ball down the road for a bit and hoping that some of the heat will be lessened here? I think that's that's what they're hoping and that's the purpose of it. I mean... The, the inquiry is being run by someone called Sue Gray, who's a very senior civil servant based in the cabinet office and someone who I think is uh, very respected, but technically not independent. She's part of the government. She's, she's a sort of non-political government member. And yes, I think in, in practice, what will happen, a few weeks will go by, the heat will be taken off them. Uh, and probably what that report will say is not sort of X should resign or X broke the law, but it will lay out what, what she believes the facts to be. 
Now, quite how the reaction to that goes down, I don't think we know, but it, it won't be written in an explosive way. So, yeah, it, it might sort of allow them to evade, evade it. They probably had no choice but to do something like this. And Royfield, you might recall that originally the civil servant tasked with this Simon Case, who's the sort of top civil servant, had to recuse himself because he was himself found to have gone to a Christmas party. Why isn't the Met Police investigating this? Because at that time, the Met Police were arresting and fining people for not securely being in lockdown. You know, many people were found out having parties. You know, just repeat, if this happened now, people would be much more relaxed about it. But this was May 2020 when people were getting fined and actually were spending a night in a, in a police prison waiting to see exactly what they're going to be sentenced for. So why aren't the police investigating this? So the, they put out a statement earlier and, and, you know, you might want to read between the lines and say it's a bit of a cop out. But what they focused on was trying to prevent ongoing risks of transmission. I'm just trying to get the statement up on my phone as I won't read it out. But that, that's what they were saying, that it's, it, you know, a risk in the past isn't something they've um, dealt with. And they described an approach where they normally would turn up to, let's say, there's a party and then we'll lock down. I mean, this doesn't happen. They would try and explain the rules and persuade before they do anything. So they, they've sort of said that this is consistent with their approach. Maybe that's a cop out. I, I don't envy the position they've been put in. But I do think it would be I'd be I would have been pretty surprised if they were going to investigate this in this context. Piotr, you you're a Brit. Uh, you, you look at uh, British politics on, on a daily basis. If you're a betting man, how much money would you put on Boris Johnson still being the Prime Minister come this time on Monday? Oh, well, I mean, I'm only a half Brit, so that's a good question. But I would say, using my half British knowledge, I, he'll still be, the, he'll still be the, the PM on Monday. But um, I, I think what's really interesting about this is the, is the comments... You know, we've got to be honest, this is the weakest that the PM has looked for a while. He's always had a bit of a tumultuous uh, existence in number 10. But you can't get away from the implications of this on public, from the public health front and, and just the pure hypocrisy. And he, for once, really can't hide behind his sort of, you know, grinning buffoonery and demeanor um so i would say the, and also point out that the comments from uh chancellor sunak are quite interesting because he said you know mr johnson had been quote right to apologize but then also said you know he added he agreed with his calls for patience so that little though right to apologize i think is quite indicative of rishi's well rishi's thinking about moving from number 11 to number 10 uh, and he's by far the most popular candidate to replace the pm and and frankly speaking he looks much more statesman and 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 so i think that even if it's not monday you'll certainly be seeing people talking amongst the 1922 committee about you know whether or not it's time to johnson had his time he's had his period his tenure but it's time to 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 take you know hedge bets and uh, and move on to um to someone else and i think that small very subtle but enough of a comment from sunak is 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 illustrating that you know he's trying to appeal to the to the membership as well as sort of somewhat support his uh, his pm but i i think johnson is is i don't think he'll last the the next few months no i don't but your money's on it that he'll at least last until monday it, it what is this 
inquiry going to actually find? Is it going to basically kind of lay bare the kind of farcical kind of drinking, impromptu socialising culture, which has actually been uh, Boris Johnson's uh, fundamental skill? That's actually how he navigated the Houses of uh, Commons and has got his way to become Prime Minister by being, you know, the type of person you want to have a drink with. So it makes sense that he had these parties in Downing Street. It was just like we're all shocked that he had them during during lockdown. What is this inquiry going to discover for us, Steve, which we didn't know? Because we, we've seen the videos, we've seen the pictures, he had the party, they were there, they weren't masked, they weren't socially dis- uh, distancing, and it was May 2020. What is there for us to learn? I suspect you're spot on. I doubt we'll learn very much, much more, maybe a few details about how it came about. But yeah, we'll, we'll learn they had parties. We'll learn there was a bit, bit of drinking culture. We'll, we'll learn they weren't taking the, the restrictions that they were involved in putting in place nearly seriously enough. I, I, think, I think you're right. I think we know it already. It'll be set out. I think the, the politically interesting bit is how much Boris and any other politicians involved knew about it and whether they were there, really, because a lot of the stories of parties, it, it's insinuated they're there. And sometimes it's civil servants and staff. And I think putting a finger on that is the interesting thing. But I think we we sort of know he already went to a few of them, at least briefly. And, you know, that's why I apologise this week. Piotr, you talked about Rishi Sunak, Dishi Rishi as the, the red types like, like to call him. Let's go through the runners and riders who could possibly be the next uh, leader, uh, not only of the Conservative Party, but of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. You, you talked about Rishi and his kind of tepid support, but Savage Javid said that most people have accepted and that we need to have an inquiry, need to wait for Mrs Gray's findings. We've had Lynn Truss, who's also somebody who is kind of promoted as potentially being the next leader of the country, saying that she stood behind the Prime Minister 100%. And this comes at a time when we have the leader of the Scottish Tories saying that he's got to go, and and many senior backbenches have urged him to go. The leader of the Tories in the London Council has basically said that his position is also uh, untenable. So we have this unprecedented situation whereby senior Tories are given, basically saying that he has to go, but then some are given these almost like Kremlinologist type messages about supporting the Prime Minister. Do you think if there is a leader, leadership election that it will be short and sharp and it's just a coronation for, for Rishi or will this be much more of a, a situation whereby MPs go to the 1922 committee and then formally take away their support from Boris Johnson? I think there's two things here which are important to keep in mind. One, that this is a reflection of generally a system which is terribly is terribly flawed. This isn't, you know, that basically the Conservatives have a, a method of changing leadership, changing the PM without actually going to an election. You know, they did this with Boris before. And, and it's possible, likely that this will happen again. So we will get a new leader, a new uh, representative of the country on the international stage without any any direct uh, input. And so is that really democratic? 
Secondly, I mean, discussing the candidates themselves, there are two main candidates. I mean, you know, media discusses uh, a multitude of different people from, you know, including Michael Gove, Jeremy Hunt, who ran before, Priti Patel, the, the Home Secretary, Sajib Javid, excuse me, the current Health Secretary. All these people are candidates, but there's only really two that are, are sort of within a reach of it. And that is Liz Truss, the, uh, the newly uh, incumbent Foreign Secretary uh, and Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak. So, or Dishi Rishi, which I don't think I'll say again. Um, now, Liz Truss is an interesting one. She's very, very popular amongst the membership base. but she, And she has, she has stormed up from being almost nobody, really, a very junior member of the, um, of the, of the cabinet or, or parliament sort of system if you like to now being the third most powerful or second most powerful depending upon how you look at the uh the structure in the entire um government she's relatively young only 46 years old and and she's um you know but she's she's hated by general public image she's so she's very popular in the conservative party but not so much amongst the general british electorate dishi rishi on the other hand is very popular amongst a lot of different people. Um, he's come from a very, very, you know, stabilized background. Um, he's married into a very well family, an Indian family. And he's gone to, you know, Winchester private school. He studied in this, worked in the city uh, and, and taken a markedly different approach to Johnson, favoring things like lower taxes and tougher public spending restraints. And, and, you know, his things like the schemes he's done during the COVID pandemic have been very, very popular and, and quite successful. You know, they've been um, replicated in other countries. So I, I, I think if it were to come down to, a, a you know, a, a competition, I think that Sunak could run away with it quite easily. And, uh, and I frankly would prefer him to Boris Johnson. But as I say, this, I think, is part of a bigger problem, which is that no one in the electorate really in Britain has the ability to define who they want in power. You know, we need an election if we're going to have a change of leadership in the, in the Conservative Party. But uh, that's unfortunately not how the system works. So that's all I'll add to that. I'm all up for the parliamentary way of doing things as opposed to the presidential. So I'm going to respectfully di disagree with you um, about the fact that we need to have um, an election to see who's going to be the prime minister. However, Steve O'Neill, could you could you give us an idea of which bit of the party Lynn Truss sits in? Is she right wing? Is she more moderate? And also Rishi Sunak, because to put Piotr's point, I don't know an awful lot about Lynn Truss either. She seems to have come from nowhere and come from nowhere pretty fast. Yeah, she, she's hard to place Liz Truss. So she was originally, actually, when I was a junior civil servant, part of education, she was there. So I actually came across her a couple of times. And she was a junior minister then, sort of worked her way up. I think she's well known as a political manoeuvrer, really, and was known as someone who went to the trade department, signed lots of trade deals, did a very good job of looking sort of ministerial with the flag behind her doing trade deals with Canada, Australia and the like. And that sort of endeared her to Conservative Party membership and MPs to some extent and propelled her to Foreign Secretary. I couldn't tell you what her, where she sits in terms of the party and does a right or left in the Conservative Party. I think she pivoted very neatly from being a sort of soft Remain supporter to being very sort of convert to Brexit. I couldn't tell you her views on the economy, for example. One thing I can tell you is actually, famously, she used to be a Lib Dem. And there's a good clip of her as about a 19-year-old sort of saying some quite left-wing things about the monarchy in Lib Dem conference, if you want a bit of trivia fact. S Sunak is another interesting one. So I think with him, 
it's well documented that his views are quite what we might call neoliberal. He's sort of a low tax conservative, again, a sort of Brexit supporter. However, you know, that, that endears him to some of the right, right of the Conservative Party, so they trust him on that. However, he has spent lots of money during the pandemic. So the reason the public like him, seemingly, is the furlough scheme, support he's given to industry, the way they phrase it is putting their arms around the kind of country. And I think that sort of tone has made him very popular. His actual views on the economy aren't now popular. So whether, how that is going to play out, I think, is is quite interesting. But he, he might receive some support from the kind of right wing of the Conservative Party because they do perceive him as a low-tax, uh, neoliberal type of politician. Let's bring you some breaking news now uh, on the fallout from these latest claims of Downing Street parties. Uh, let's bring in our deputy political editor, Sam Coates, who's in Westminster, and to tell us more. Sam. YouGov have surveyed over 5,000 people today about what they think about Boris Johnson's position. Let's bring you the results. 56% say that Boris Johnson should resign, should resign in a poll uh, seen uh, by Sky News today. 27% say he should remain uh, in his role. So that's the no, Boris Johnson shouldn't resign on your screen now. And 17% uh, think uh, that they don't know at the moment. At the moment. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Is the fate of Boris Johnson going to be decided in, in the backbenches of Parliament or is it going to be in the court of public opinion? My, my gut is that this is all down to the Daily Mail and Daily Mail readers that if he survives until Sunday, it's going to be those editorials in the the mail on Sunday and possibly in the Times, which is going to do for him. How wildly am I out with this analysis, Steve O'Neill? I think that he is supported by Conservative MPs to the extent that he can win. Remember, he's got an 80-odd seat majority, and that will take some doing to convince people. You hear a lot of noise, but he still won an 80 seat majority. So until, until something really convinces them he won't ever win again, and you just cite some polling that's going that way, I think he might be harder to remove than we're thinking, right, 
right now. But ultimately, if the polls, and probably more importantly, and maybe we've got some local elections, a bit like the US, a sort of midterm situation, if that goes really badly, then I think he's in big, big trouble. But I, I think, and I could well be made to look silly for saying this, I think his position is a bit more secure in the next what we told May about five months than the most people are making out. I, I, I think he's pretty safe. And if he does okay in local elections, I would sit my neck out here, say he'll probably fire the next election. Steve, there, there's a Scottish Conservative Party conference in March and the leader of the Scot- Scottish Conservatives have said, do not come. All of the Scottish MEPs have said, we do not want you there. Surely, surely, surely. Boris Johnson is gravely wounded. He's definitely gravely wounded, and I think he's definitely damaged. It's, I suppose, whether he's fatally damaged or not. In terms of the Scottish political situation, and I'm not an expert in this, but he is so unpopular in Scotland, and they're thinking about how they win votes in Scotland. So distancing himself from Boris was always a good idea. Now, given the way he's gone, it's definitely a good idea. So I'm sure they genuinely believe he should go, but they don't want him there because they'll make them look bad. And the reason Douglas Ross, their leader, came out and said he should resign, I think, is to try and uh, garner support in Scotland as much as anything else. I think these things are quite cynical calculations about how to win, how to win votes. We have on stage Steve Crone, um, good friend of us Brits, has a, a little apartment in the centre of London. And we are joined on stage by Drew James. Steve Crone. I'm asking a question that could just be looked up. And so forgive me, but I hope it's of general use to the audience. And that is this procedure, and, and you, you've alluded to yeah. it, by which party changes well, its I, leader sorry, and that's the party in power and therefore you the know. new leader becomes the prime Take minister. Care. Can someone talk about the history of that? I don't recall this before relatively recently. Is this some new thing? Has it always been possible, but just not done as often? Can someone just speak to the history and the, and, and the technical aspects of this way of changing the leader of the country? It seems quite odd. Well, first off, and I'm going to go to you, Steve, but this, we've got to remember um, the leader of the country is the queen, right? He's the head of the executive. He's not the head of state. So, and when when we vote in in a general election, we are voting for our MPs, in effect, our congressmen, whichever political party then forms a majority. We're not actually voting as you do in the in the presidential way. When I vote, let's say in Erdington in Birmingham, I am not voting for Boris Johnson. He's sure. not no, on I the understand ticket. that. Of He's course, not on the but ticket. I, but I thought in the past, you know, you had to have a vote of no confidence. And there was a new election. You couldn't just replace. But maybe this has always been the way it works. Well, Steve O'Neill, why don't you tell Steve Crone about the 1922 committee? And uh, maybe let's have a short history lesson about various conservative coups and how they've got rid of leaders before. I'm not sure I'm the person to do the history lesson, but just generally in the House of Commons, if you have the confidence of most of the MPs and majority, your prime minister. It's always been like that. Theresa May, I don't remember, they got rid of Cameron. That's exactly how it happened. They had a majority, a small majority, and the reason she became prime minister was they had the most MPs. That's only a few years ago. So it has always been like this. I can't tell you uh, whether there were changes hundreds of years ago, but it's been like this for a long time. So the 1922 committee, that's backbench conservative MPs. All we remember backbench is they're not in the government. They're not ministers. And there's a rule whereby if a certain proportion of them, I can't remember the percentage, but I think right now it's 55, put in letters saying, 
I don't have confidence in the Prime Minister, that triggers a vote or or a procedure whereby it, you know he can get removed, a vote of no confidence. And that's as leader of the Conservative Party. And then after that, they have to find a new leader where they've got a process where they have to... In, in Theresa May's case, they all said there was no competition. In other cases, there might be you get down to a, a final few and that would go to the Conservative membership. So there's a different process through the Conservative Party. But for, in terms of the leader of the country... If you've got the most MPs or you've got a majority of MPs in that in the House of Commons, you're prime minister. And, and that's all there is to it. And I'm pretty sure that's all there's ever been to it. Yeah. The other thing to say is that there is this formal mechanism, as um, Steve said, the 1922 uh, committee. And, and to be the chairman of that committee is actually quite a powerful uh, position because what you what the conservative backbench MPs are doing is taking the temperature of um, how they think the government is actually doing. And as Steve, as Steve O'Neill said, I can't remember exactly what the percentage is, but maybe let, let's say it's like a quarter of all Conservative MPs, it's something like that, need to register with the, the 1922 committee that they have no confidence in, in the leader. And then that triggers um, an automatic kind of vote. However, what the Conservative Party have been expert at, and Piotr, I will come to you. Uh, we do have Drew on, Drew on stage and then Corey's also joined us. What the Conservatives have been very expert at doing is coalescing very quickly around the presumed new leader. So they don't always have to go down and have a formal election. And I, and I cannot see, if Boris Johnson doesn't survive, I think what would happen is that the, the 1922 committee would take soundings from key conservative ministers and backbenchers. There'd be two or three people who would basically informally throw the hat into the ring, but there'd be a coronation within 48 hours. Pause. The country is in the middle of a pandemic. It wouldn't serve the country any good at all for there to be a drawn out formal election like like there was when the Conservative Party was was in opposition. So this would be sorted out within 48 hours and someone would emerge because they've had, it's like the smoke-filled rooms that used to kind of crown presidential uh, nominees in the US. You know, smoke-filled rooms, deals are done. This person has the confidence of, of mo more MPs. Very quickly. So you're right. Tory MPs will initiate a, a vote of no confidence when 15% or around 54 MPs write to the chair of the party 1922 committee saying that they they have lost confidence in the party leader. Uh, MPs then vote in support or against the leader. This can happen quickly. Uh, for example, this happened relatively quickly in 2018, the day after Theresa May was informed that the 15% threshold had been reached. Uh, May needed about 160 MPs, I think it was, to support her stay, and won the vote by 200. So under current rules as well, an important point to note is if more than 50% of all MPs, currently 181, vote in support of the Prime Minister, they can stay as party leader and Prime Minister, and no, no, you be triggered for another year. So that's generally the sort of the system. And then there have been some initial changes to it since like 1965. Uh, it was done via sort of emerging uh, but after that, it's been now via sort of formal elections. So that's just a little bit of a context behind the actual leadership change. And as uh, Steve has already pointed out, you know, we've had this in 2017, we've had this in 2019 between Bojo and Jeremy Hunt, and it's possible we could see this happen again. But I, I you know, it'd be very interesting to see how it happens if it were to. But uh, back to you. 
Thank you for that, Piotr. And I didn't realize it was uh, as a smaller percentage as 15%. I, I said 25. So it's so just thank you for that bit of clarification. Drew James, you've joined us on stage. Welcome to Mid-Atlantic, sir. So I have a bit of a comparative politics question for the panel, because I found the discussion about this Partygate scandal fascinating when uh, we began speculating about Boris Johnson's resignation. As you may be aware, the Canadian Prime Minister has had a few of his own scandals. He had the infamous and humiliating blackface scandal, but also another quite serious scandal where someone goes so far as to say that he uh, obstructed justice by interfering in a criminal prosecution. Some would say that. I'm not saying I say that, but, you know, they're not good facts. And to my eye, those scandals are worse than Partygate, taken together or even separately. There are very, very few scenarios I can envision that would result in a party revolt against Justin Trudeau. Only two MPs left the Liberal Party during the aforementioned scandals. Everyone else backed him. And this may be due to the fact that the Canadian Conservative Party has proven themselves incapable of capitalizing on those scandals, and Trudeau remains politically powerful. But that seems to be the case for for Boris Johnson as well. I'm not seeing anything that would indicate that he would be vulnerable to losing an election. So I guess my question is this, what, what do you guys think accounts for the difference there? And can you comment a little bit on what triggers a party revolt like this in the UK? Should I come in again on that one? Go for it, Steve. Yeah. So, so this this is bad. This party gate, but it's it's only perhaps the worst bit of a long series of of difficulties they've had. So there've been numerous corruption scandals to the government in general. You might have seen various affairs along the health sector. You had various things about contracts, dodgy contracts during the pandemic. But in particular, the number ten tried to change the rules in Parliament about accepting for, for an MP the money for lobbying activities to try and sort of save one of their own, essentially. This is an MP called Owen Patterson, who's since resigned. And so this was is, is the last of a long list of things that has weakened, that damaged the Conservative brand and the Prime Minister. At the same time, actually, Labour is starting to do better in the polls. So you mentioned the context of that. They're 10 points ahead in the poll a couple of days ago. Now, it'll probably even out because this is the middle of the crisis. But there's that as well. And also there's a context within the Conservative Party about an unhappiness with the handling of the pandemic. I think quite a lot of the right-leaning MPs didn't want any more restrictions and felt the government, and I know for some of us that this might seem sort of sort of mind-boggling, but they felt that the government was being too ready to, to damage civil liberties. They, they, they thought there was too much restrictions and lockdown type activities. And so there's some internal politics that is making it very awkward for Boris as well. The other bit of that is he's rising taxes to pay for health care, uh, rising national insurance, and we've got a big inflation and cost of living crisis. They're also not happy about that. So there's lots of different reasons, and this being the epicentre of Partygate, that are making the current prime minister a lot weaker. I don't know whether all those things are there in, in, in Canada for Trudeau. To also reiterate what, what Steve has said there, whenever th- there is, it comes to a point whereby you're being told, whether it's by the leader of your party in Scotland or the leader of your party in London and various MPs, that it's time to go. As, as Steve said, it's because there's been a build-up of, of other events. And the other thing about this, the reason why potentially it, it is a tipping point, is because 
it kind of reinforces all the things which we kind of implicitly believed about Johnson and the way that he was actually running the country, that he was doing it in a very slapdash way. It was all about being very casual. And, and then that had just been reinforced by the history of the, what the government has done during the pandemic. And then we discover that when we have the worst COVID death figures in Europe, that two months into the pandemic, there were garden parties um, in Downing Street when people were being arrested and being fined for breaking those rules. So it's only just goes to reinforce exactly what people implicitly thought and we go ha ha there you go this man is kind of kind of incompetent when it comes to canada and trudeau scandals i always kind of remark and we did do a couple of shows about it uh, for, for, for a start off the, the blackface one was when he was a student and then the picture came out 20 odd years later so that that that's different that's different it's not as if trudeau when he was prime minister you know in in 20 2016 was uh, going out to parties in blackface but it has to be said considering that a lot of these shows are about comparing and contrasting with the united states that our scandals seem to be trifling compared to what an american president and i'm pointing the finger at donald trump can seem to get away with you know um, there is a. It appears that we have a much lower tolerance to bad behaviour by our public officials. But maybe Donald Trump is an outlier in in this regard. Aram, you you were going to unmute yourself there. Yeah, I, uh, as you know, quaint as the sort of Canadian scandals may sound to British ears, this scandal of Partygate sounds quaint to my American ears. You know, in October of twenty twenty. Donald Trump hosted a celebration regarding the, I can't remember if it was the, the nomination or the confirmation of Amy Coney Barrett uh, to the Supreme Court. The top infectious disease expert in the U.S. called it a super spreader event. It's come out since that, in fact, it was. There were loads of people who contracted the virus. It was done very, very publicly and, you know, was basically a statement by the, the president that, he didn't really care, right? Like he could do whatever he wanted and, you know, whatever the, the eggheads were saying, he didn't really, you know, the rules didn't apply to him. And it was just sort of, you know, shrug your shoulders and move on kind of kind of thing. So it's just really interesting to hear, you know, that this could take down or be the straw that broke the camel's back, at, at least where it comes to Boris Johnson. But in the U.S., that's a scandal that is, you know, buried under a litany of other scandals that, you know, define the, uh, the the Trump administration. Was that the event where Chris Christie contracted COVID as well? You know, I don't even know. There were so many people who caught it there. Steve O'Neill, does the Conservative Party owe Boris Johnson a little bit more? He has delivered Brexit. We have left the European Union in whatever state we've actually done that. And he gave them a thumping majority that nobody saw coming. He's fundamentally, at least for 18 months, the, the opposition in, in the United Kingdom has, has been decimated. And, you know, there is no conversation world, worthy of the name about Brexit anymore. He has changed the needle and he's managed to 
do that and fundamentally take the Conservative Party into this new Brexit sunny uplands. So shouldn't they, you know, rally around him because he's delivered a thumping majority? A lot of them do, who you're not hearing from, probably are thinking that because they do have a big majority. And it's been it's been a long time before that election that they had a majority. I don't think that is a majority they're going to get again easily or that any party will get again easily in Britain, really. I think they might be things of the past. And he did deliver that through his campaign in 2019. I, I sort of think that it wasn't necessarily his personal qualities. It might have been more circumstance. I think Theresa May did a lot of work weirdly she was perceived as an election loser but a lot of work making inroads in the seats that ultimately he won so really i'm talking about seats more in the northern part of the country north midlands that were called the red wall used to be red labor seats and the conservatives have taken them over and boris that was the big thing that happened in 2019 winning lots of those seats but yeah i think you make a good point he he is a big election winner and it comes back to the at what point do you sort of th- have that bit of evidence in the past and think, well, all the polling and the perception and the news stories from the present are telling, you know, telling Conservative MPs that that won't happen again. But, you know, it's a big it's a big point in his favour to to get a, get around. And that's kind of why my hunch, not sure it's worth that much, is that he isn't going anywhere particularly quickly. AB, you've joined us on stage. Hello, everyone. I just had a question for the panel. So I guess when the discussion is really about whether or not Boris Johnson will survive this, so uh, I, I guess I kind of want to uh, investigate both outcomes. Per se, he does survive this scandal. What does that say about the Conservative Party's, I guess, threshold? Or, or I mean, at the end of the day, this is all about power. So does this, in essence, uh, give them the license to essentially feel empowered that no matter what, they can pretty much survive anything so long as they have, you know, a uh, politician who is popular and and can deliver on providing the, the necessary votes, a la Donald Trump. And on the other side, if he doesn't survive, what will, uh, in essence, be the legacy of Boris Johnson going forward? And do you, pers- do you foresee another candidate like him because he's been able to why there's so many scandals at the uh, Conservative Party? Do you think that they're going to allow, you know, something, someone similar who has a who has the potential to uh, create, you know, damning news, or are they going to kind of clean up and and try to reform within their ranks? Thank you. I'll lance a bit of that, and then I'll throw it back uh, to Steve O'Neill. The Conservative Party is the oldest political party, I believe, in the world, but definitely in the Western world. It was formed round about 1740, the Conservative Party. They were called the Tories back then. One thing which they're famed for is for their survival instincts. And they jettisoned Margaret Thatcher, who at that point, as far as the rest of the world was concerned, was the Iron Lady. She'd won three general elections, the longest term that a British Prime Minister had actually been in 10 Downing Street, at least for like 100 plus years. So the Conservative Party can be ruthless when the ones be. But generally, when they wield the knife, they wield it pretty quickly. The other point that I'd say is that if we, and we did talk about this earlier on, the two obvious candidates to be the leader are not at all Trump-like. Boris Johnson 
hasn't wielded an influence over the Conservative Party in the way that Trump has with the Republican Party. Boris Johnson hasn't remade the Conservative Party. What he what he has been is somebody who electorally, because of his affable nature, could go out and win seats which were kind of unwinnable for the Conservative Party before. But his legacy fundamentally will be the Prime Minister who delivered uh, Brexit. Regardless of what happens, he will go down in history books as that. Steve O'Neill. Yeah, as ever, Roy, I think that was all spot on. And it's a, a lot of really good questions from Abe there. So I'm not sure we can get through. Uh, I can easily get through all of them. If Boris does survive this, fights the next election and wins big again, I think you'd have to say yes. He, You, you would conclude then that all this sort of seeming incompetence we might look at, all these kind of scandals and mess, haven't come to much. And ultimately, people are voting and voting for the Conservatives for different reasons. And maybe that's to do with our sort of um, cultural divides that are defining our politics. Then you might have to conclude that. I don't know if that will happen or not. On the other sort of part of the question, I think, was around the different kind of characters. And I, I think, Royfield, you're right that there aren't... He's a bit unique, isn't he, Boris? And he's the only one that's sort of a character politician like that in, in, the, in the UK. You can talk about people like Liz Truss building a kind of, sort of persona and, and Richie Sunak having a sort of Instagram profile and things, and those things get attention here. But no one's a character like him, and I suspect he's a bit unique. And I also wonder whether the moment for someone like that was that moment in 2019 where we're in the middle of Brexit and we were all kind of doom and gloom and someone a bit positive who was going to get Brexit done and be sort of jolly. Maybe that kind of worked for him in a way that it just might not have worked in any normal sort of more somber election that's my that's my guess but it's it's hard to know yeah and i think uh, maybe there's another reason why um boris johnson is very much an outlier when it comes to british politicians is because you can't end up getting into high office in the united kingdom let alone to become the prime minister without going through the whole party machine so that's going to basically you know round off some of your rough edges boris johnson is completely atypical in in that regard but if we're looking at rishi sunak here is somebody where whether you like his politics or not he appears to be uh competent he's got a grasp of figures he knows how to deliver core messages etc all these things are kind of things which boris johnson doesn't have but but boris johnson has been atypical in that he kind of, whilst he was an MP, he always had this media career. And no other British politician has kind of had a similar journey to, to Downing Street. So I, I, there aren't any Boris Johnson light figures in British politics waiting to take control of the Conservative Party. Corey, uh, you've been waiting for quite some time. Now is your time to unmute yourself and ask your question. Oh, thank you. I mean, you sort of just said what I was going to say, really, uh, regarding the competition or lack thereof. And I think that's one reason why I, I, I don't see him going anytime soon. Because, yeah, I guess I won't repeat what you just said, but basically just details what you said regarding the, the competition. The other the other point I wanted to mention was uh, somebody, I think it was Drew, uh, was on stage before asking about the, I guess, the, the nature of removing prime ministers and whether it's a recent thing. And, you know, speaking about history, and it really isn't, because even if you go back to the days before, days when there were Tories and Whigs, sort of early 1800s, I guess the process has always been, the fundamental question, hasn't it, has always been, 
who can uh, command the confidence of the House of Commons. So going back to them, I guess just, I don't know if Drew's still here, I think he's on, I don't know if he's in the audience still, but I guess just answering his question from before, yes, it is a historical thing and it has happened. Not that much in the last 50 years, but if you go back to the, especially early 1800s, that happened quite a lot. So yeah, those were my two points really. But yes, oh, regarding Johnson, in my opinion, nothing less than him downing five pints in the cabinet room on video would get rid of him. Minimum, in my opinion, right now. Kathy Edge, you've joined us, Kathy. There's an opinion poll which Sky News ran, which we ran a clip for earlier. I'm just going to run it again, Kathy. I want you to tell us about how Boris Johnson is viewed in Wales. Let's hear about Boris Johnson's poll ratings. Let's bring you some breaking news now uh, on the fallout from these latest claims of Downing Street parties. Uh, let's bring in our deputy political editor, Sam Coates. He's in Westminster and tell us more. Sam. YouGov have surveyed over 5,000 people today about what they think about Boris Johnson's position. Let's bring you the results. 56% say that Boris Johnson should resign, should resign in a poll uh, seen uh, by Sky News today. 27% say he should remain uh, in his role. So that's the no, Boris Johnson shouldn't resign on your screen now. And 17% uh, think uh, that they don't know at the moment. Kathy, I must admit, Considering that we have senior backbenchers saying the Prime Minister's position is untenable, the leader of the Tory party in Scotland says, uh, don't even bother coming to Scotland, you've got to go. The leader of the uh, Greater London Council has basically said, you've also got to go. I'm surprised that only 57% of us Brits think that the Prime Minister's got to go. Are you surprised by these figures? And, and how, has the Boris Johnson, how does Boris Johnson play out in Wales? Well, firstly, thank you for having me in. I thought this was a work event, but he doesn't play well in Wales at all. But I think uh, the unique thing uh, about the Tory party is the selection, the actual selection of the prime minister is down to a very small bunch of people. And the 1922 committee are key in that. But it, it's those kind of like 800,000 members of the Tory party that, that decide the fate, essentially, of who runs. There are alternatives, I think. Rishi Sunak is, is reasonably tolerated across across the floor. Trust, I don't think is, but there are they they do have alternatives at the moment, and I think he will go. But he will he will only. I'm surprised that that poll is that high actually. To be honest, um, because he, he there seems to be as Steve was saying, he seems to be unique. There seems to be one rule for him, even within his own party. So it's difficult. I mean, I I hope he go. The thought of Pretty Patel or Lynn Trust taking over fills me with a dread that I haven't felt since, well, ever. But Sunak seems a, a palatable alternative in that, as you say, he's competent and um, that is the low bar that uh, we're looking at at the moment. But it will be it will be interesting. I thought he was going to go today, but there's a new story about two more parties that's just emerged tonight. And the interesting thing is who's reported them, and it's the Telegraph. And they were on the eve of the Queen burying her husband. And the Telegraph coming up with that is is quite telling because for Americans in Europe, it's a, it's a very right-wing, very Tory paper, in my humble opinion. And, yeah, that's that's my two cents, Roy Field. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think, I, and I did say this earlier, that for me there are two papers 
which is going to be significant, that if he survives until Sunday, then it's going to be the damaging editorials in the Sunday Mail, or the Mail on Sunday, sorry, and and the Telegraph. Because the, for, for Americans, the Telegraph, as, as Kathy says, isn't just the, the, the paper of, of the Conservative Party, it's of the Conservative establishment. You know, if you are, if you can um, look at your lineage of your family going back a few generations and uh, you are somebody of considerable wealth, you read the Telegraph. So this is uh, fundamentally the establishment's newspaper. So them breaking that there were other parties in Downing Street is a real sign of which direction the wind is blowing. And I'm going to say thank you to Steve O'Neill, to AB, to, to Steve Crone, to Piotr, to Kathy, and to all the other people that we actually had on stage, and also to Drew, who removed himself to the to the audience. We are going to do another Mid Atlantic show on Tuesday, and I can't tell you who the the guest is going to be because it hasn't been one hundred percent confirmed. But if we pull this off, it's going to be our biggest guest that we've ever had. On, on the show. So why don't you join uh, the club? So as soon as that is confirmed, you will be alerted with, with, the, with what time that room is going to happen. But it's a sitting US uh, congressman of some repute who has basically said he does want to come onto the show. So that's inducement for you to join the Mid-Atlantic Room Club. Sorry. We do have a whole load of podcasts listen to us on a podcatcher of your choice go download the shows fundamentally what this room is about is to try and understand us and uk politics but also to promote civil discourse i think we can all see that at a time when many opinion writers are saying that america is going through a cold civil war and we've had brexit which exposed so many fissures within uk society the time for us whether we are right or left to still to be able to communicate and converse with each other is even more important and that's what this room tries to promote I've always been I've always been of the belief that the commonwealth the common ground is absolutely absolutely vitally important and it's for all of us whether we're left or right to inhabit that ground and to stake a claim to it and to metaphorically be able to meet each other whether we are whether we agree or disagree with their politics so that's what mid atlantic is all about great to see so many people in this room to talk about Boris Johnson and and to determine whether and if his final days are just about ahead of us. There you go. That's been me, Royfield Brown. You can back channel me. You can send me an email at royfield at gmail.com if you'd like to discuss future shows. I'm going to try and do these once a week. Toodle pip, goodbye. Look after yourselves. Look after your loved ones and make sure that you look after yourself also. Bye-bye. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 